For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our lives in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, and that being justified by his grace, we may be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thank you, Martha. I do invite you to find the book of Titus in your Bible this morning. As you find Titus chapter 3, and we're going to look at this passage in preparation for partaking in communion. Um, I want to begin with a reminder that there's something wrong with us. And I don't just mean us as in Doolin's Grove. I mean, there's something wrong with us as a species. There's something wrong with the human race. And you know it as well as I do. You see it plainly anytime you watch the news or listen to the news or read the news. There's terrorism, there's crime, there's distrust even of our police force. There's constant issues around the world. There's an escalation of... um, Abuse and, and sexual slavery and people taking advantage of one another and hurting one another and killing one another and is bad out there. There's something wrong. You see it when you look at the generations of your own family. Some of us who have children and even grandchildren, you, you think back to the, the delivery room and you had this little bundle of joy, this perfect little boy or this perfect little girl, your first child and the just potential there. And then now you, you see generations of your family and there's all kinds of strife and all kinds of trouble and there's broken marriages and there's addictions and there's um, deep issues among our family. And, you know, way back then standing in that delivery room, you would have never thought, you know, this innocent, perfect little child could be capable of sin, could be capable of, of causing such trouble. But there's something wrong with our children, our grandchildren. There's something wrong with ourselves. How many of you have not struggled just with yourself in the last week? Not even circumstantial issues. Just within your own self, there's been something wrong. Some uh, anger that you can't control. Some anxiety that you can't control. Some addiction that you can't control. There's something wrong with the human race. And I know that's not news, but I think that we can quickly forget that there's a real problem and we can quickly be somewhat brainwashed by the world who would say that human beings are basically good. There's just a few rough edges. Well, the Bible's diagnosis is the opposite, that we are deeply, deeply flawed. Now, as we prepare for communion, I want to just present to you Jesus Christ, the cure. Okay, Jesus Christ is the cure for everything that is wrong with humanity. Everything that is wrong with your families, everything that is wrong with you, 
It's Jesus Christ. And again, I know this isn't shocking news because you guys are church folks and you've heard this before, but we need to hear it over and over again because we quickly abandon Christ for other cures to our own destruction. And communion is a regular remembrance that it's all Jesus. It's only Jesus. Our hope is Jesus alone. So Martha, thank you again for reading our passage for us today. Shared with us Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. Titus is a short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a pastor named Titus. Titus was having trouble with the people among his church. They were all messed up and they were causing problems. Especially there seemed to have been some false teachers teaching false things. And it led a lot of the people who called themselves Christians to be very immoral. And one of the big thrusts of the book is, no, being a Christian does affect your morality. So I want to read the passage to you again. This is Paul writing to Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I know that's a lot to take in. I just want to point out three, three elements of this passage to you as you prayerfully approach communion. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus Christ doesn't just cure the symptoms of the human condition. Jesus Christ cures the source of the human condition. You know, we want to make things like this list in verse 3 sources but they're not sources, they're symptoms. The things listed in verse 3 are not the source of the human condition. Those are the symptoms that show that there's something wrong with the human condition. Things like foolishness, disobedience, easily being led astray, slavery to passions and pleasures, spending our days, letting our days go by in malice, which is just like sort of badness directed at other people, and envy, just surrounded by hatred, people hating us, us hating other people. We know from this passage that those are not the source issues because of the way Jesus solves the problem in verse 4. It doesn't say, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he educated us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he mentored us. No, it says he saved us. We didn't just need to be educated or mentored in our foolishness, our folly. We needed to be saved in it. You know, some of the most educated people have caused some of the, the worst evils in the world. You know, our political messes are caused by very educated people. You know, you see, you see um, all kinds of corruption taking place in higher education among faculty. Those are very educated people. Now, we don't need just education or mentoring. We need salvation. It doesn't say in verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he disciplined us. 
you know, for our disobedience, as listed in verse 3, we don't just need discipline. We need salvation. For when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. You, know, you who have children know the difference between a child who obeys grudgingly, outwardly, but whose heart remains disobedient. That, that steely-eyed look of, I'll do what you ask, but I resent it and I don't agree with it. Versus a child who obeys from the heart of respect and love and submission and humility. See, just sheer discipline doesn't create this. Salvation creates this. So when we look at our families and our um, society and we see just rebellion and disobedience, more discipline, more punishments, more policing are going to try to handle the symptom, but they're not going to solve the source problem. We don't just need more policing and more discipline. We need salvation. Verse 4 doesn't say, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he gave us finally the perfect diet. We're slaves to our passions and pleasures. We have no control over ourselves around food or or slaves to our passions and, and pleasures of sexual lust. You know, it doesn't say when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he gave us a, a software that will protect us while we're on the internet or on our cell phones from pornography or all the other trouble we can get into. See, software and diets, all those things, they try to help us alleviate the symptoms, but they do not solve the source problem in our heart, which is that in our hearts, we're slaves to our passions and pleasures when we're apart from Christ. So we need salvation for the source of our problems. That's what humanity needs. Now, some of you, I know you're church folks. I know you've heard this before, but some of you still have gotten caught in a cycle of chasing down your symptoms, trying to deal with your symptoms. And perhaps in the clamor to deal with your spiritual symptoms, You've stepped away from, you've got out of connection with Jesus Christ who solves your source problems. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to be constantly chasing your symptoms down and you finally alleviate one only for another one to spring up. You know, a while back, um, I was preparing a raw whole chicken to be grilled. Now, don't be deceived. Don't, don't think that I'm cooking a lot. This was a very rare incident in which I was trying to cook. And I was reaching in there, pulling out all the disgusting stuff that is inside the chicken before you can deal with it. And I was reaching in, I guess, too aggressively. And one of the little sharp bones, I guess it's like a little rib bone or something, jabbed into my finger where the fingernail meets the skin. I think it's the cuticle. Just jabbed in there and it hurt and it bled and it was raw chicken. So it was raw chicken juice and a puncture wound into my finger while the clock was ticking because I already had the other chicken on the grill and this thing needed to get in there and there was things, you know, timing that needed to be kept. So I washed it as quick as I could, you know, put a bandaid on it so as not to get blood all over everybody's dinner and cooked it and we ate. On the days that followed, my finger got swollen and red and hot and pulsating and extremely sensitive. Okay, so... You know, I put a Band-Aid on it. I put some little antibiotic ointment on the surface of it. Um, Nothing helped it. Nothing helped it at all. I could put something cool on it and it would soothe it. 
I could put a Band-Aid on it so that maybe I could get into my pocket. Because it was so sensitive, I couldn't even use my pocket. I had to like reach around with my other hand into my pocket. I did that for a couple weeks, trying to control the symptoms of this infection. And finally, I went to the doctor, and they gave me an oral antibiotic that solved the source of it. And the infection cleared up in no time. I could take the Band-Aid off. I didn't need to worry about it anymore. But if I had spent the rest of my life just trying to deal with the symptoms, I could have built some kind of a, a protective orb around my finger to keep it from ever hitting on anything. Because when it hit something, it would reduce me nearly to tears. It was so sensitive. And I'm a very manly man, as you know. So you know it was painful. You know, I could have built things around it to keep it from hurting so bad. I could have continued to put antibiotic ointment on the surface, but it could not, not penetrate to where the infection really was. Or I could go to the doctor and solve the source issue. See, many of us, even within the church, are walking around with all kinds of symptoms of our deeper infection, causing all kinds of sensitivities and all kinds of issues. It might be, you know, foolishness in your decision making. It might be a disobedient rebelliousness among authorities at work or within your families. Um, It might be um, that you're easily led astray and gullible. It might be that you're totally enslaved to various passions and pleasures. It might be that your, your days are passing by with malice and envy. It might be that you spend your days just wasting your days on Facebook, envying everybody. It might be that um, you're in a lot of contentious relationships with other people. It might be that you find yourself hating people, constantly griping about people, those stupid people. Why are people that way? Why do they drive like that? Why do my coworkers act like that? Days passing by in hatred, malice, envy, miserableness. Don't try to chase down all these symptoms. Don't just try to medicate to feel better. Jesus Christ solves the source problem of our sin. Communion is the regular reminder that Jesus Christ solves the source problems. He didn't give his life, his body, and his blood to present to us seven steps to a happier week. It was to completely transform us, to cure us. Now, the second thing I want to point out to you as we prepare for communion is that Jesus Christ's cure is not based on merit, but mercy. Receiving the cure, receiving this, does not depend on your merits. It does not depend on what you bring to the table. It all depends on Jesus's mercy. We get that from verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul was writing this. And remember, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was a guy named Saul who aided in the murdering and, and extreme persecution of Christians. Okay, so as he's writing this, he's remembering how merciful it is that he gets to be a Christian. You know, he didn't see the folly of all that and, and wise up and then come and earn salvation. He didn't realize how much he was rebelling against God and then pull himself together and swallow his pride and go and humble himself and then receive salvation. 
He didn't recognize he was a slave to his passions and get really disciplined and get his act together and clean himself up and establish a track record of self-discipline and then come to Christ and receive salvation. It didn't depend on his merit or Titus's merit. It was all in the mercy of Jesus Christ. And it's the same for us. It's like my children and their soccer team. My kids are playing soccer this year. Okay, and they get, it's part of this league, I think it's called Challenger, maybe. And what they do is they bring these guys who are really good at soccer over from Europe. We have a guy from England uh, with a really cool English accent, and he's really good at soccer. And he's teaching Elias and Lillian how to play soccer. And they're on the team. So they made the team. They've got an excellent coach all the way from England just to coach them. They've got their jerseys. Lillian says um, Madrid, and his says Manchester. And we bought them each their own soccer ball. Elias's is this cool one. It's, uh, I think it's the colors of the of England soccer team. And um, Lillian is this little pink uh, Hello Kitty one that's already fallen apart because when you buy those, you're paying for the branding on them, not the quality of the soccer ball. But that's another sermon in and of itself. They've got the soccer balls. They've got the cleats. They've got the um, the the cool shin guard socks. The excellent coach all the way from England and the cool jerseys, and they're on the team. But not because they merited it. They didn't earn their way onto the soccer team. They don't, they're children. They don't know what they're doing. It's by, by the grace of their parents that we paid for them to do this and take them twice a week and outfitted them with all these things. And if you provided for them a coach from England who is really good at soccer, it's, they are recipients of it by mercy, not by their merit. Okay. And it's good for us regularly to come to the communion table to be reminded that we did not earn this and we're not earning anything by being here this morning. You're not earning anything. No credit is being given to you by being here. You're, you're, you're earning nothing, but you're receiving everything all by the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. It's exhausting to try to outweigh our sins with righteous deeds to try to soothe our conscience and and earn reconciliation with God and earn feeling okay with God. And it's exhausting because it's impossible. Our sin creates a debt that we will never, ever, ever be able to pay. As impossible as it would be for Lillian to make a professional soccer team right now is how impossible it will be for us to earn our salvation, even more so. But it's given to us. We're we're recipients. Jesus broke that bread and poured that cup and passed it around. The disciples didn't have to pass a test first. They didn't have to show perfect attendance to all the disciples' club meetings first. They were a ragtag bunch of guys who still didn't get it, who all abandoned Jesus once he was crucified. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. We have not deserved any of this. We have not earned it. Now, let that give you rest. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you rest. If you're here as though this is another obligation and you're busy week, you don't have to be here. I mean, your salvation does not depend on you being in this church right now. Now, if you have no desire to be in this church, fellowshipping with other believers and hearing the word, 
that's a red flag about your salvation, but it certainly isn't earning you anything to be here. This is totally voluntary. Um, There's a freedom in that. There's a restfulness in that. There's also a great hope in this for our loved ones that we are so concerned about that we pray for. And they're, you know, swimming around in malice and envy and hatred and um, slavery to their passions and pleasures and they're foolish. And we think, I just can't picture them ever coming to Christ. But remember, they don't have to climb some mountain from all those sins up to righteous deeds to earn salvation. It doesn't depend on them. It depends on the mercy of Jesus Christ. So there's always hope. It's, it's close. Salvation is close, even to those who seem the furthest away. That's one of the most beautiful things about Christianity. Lastly, the last thing I want to point out before we go to the table together is that Jesus Christ's cure doesn't just make you better it makes you reborn. It doesn't just make you a better person. It makes you a reborn person, a brand new person. We get that from verses five and six, which say, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, we have different terms that we use to try to classify who's who in the world as church folks. So one of the sets of terms that we use to classify people is Christian and non-Christian. This is sort of the most generic set of terms that we have as tools in our minds to tell who's who and where people stand. But the problem with these terms is it's almost too generic Because when we hear Christian, we think of just the generic religion of Christianity, those associated with it, those living in the country associated with it. So people across the world, many assume that all Americans are Christians because America is like a Christian place. It's a Christianized place. So Christian is just anybody associated with the things of Christianity and non-Christian is anybody who actively does not identify with it. Okay, so someone is a non, someone who is Buddhist is a non-Christian, just like I'm a non-Buddhist. Okay, this is probably the, the most widely used terminology in our minds to classify people. Another one that you'll hear and maybe use is believer versus unbeliever. Okay, these terms highlight more the act of faith in Jesus Christ. So the believers are the ones who believe in Jesus. They believe he was who he claimed to be, that he is the Lord, is the Savior, is the Son of God. The unbelievers are those who, either because they haven't thought about it or because they reject it, they don't believe that. Okay, so that's another classification. Those who believe in this stuff and those who don't believe in it. Now, a lot of people don't realize that Christian belief is not like Santa Claus belief. It's not wishful thinking, you know, if I believe it'll come true. It's, it's a belief that includes fully entrusting yourself into it. Okay, it's, it's a faith, not just a, uh, you know, wish upon a star and believe it'll come true kind of belief. There's a strength to it. But there's another set of terms that come from passages like this that you may hear some that I think highlight a very crucial dimension to the whole thing. And that's regenerate versus 
unregenerate. Okay? Regenerate versus unregenerate. Or what you probably hear more often is born-again Christians versus unregenerate. Now, you may not hear that unregenerate a whole lot. You read it in, in books if you read any like theological stuff. It comes from passages like this. It highlights the idea that one who has truly received Jesus Christ as Savior, has truly received the gospel down into their innermost being, has not only been improved, has not entered a, a club, has not just subscribed to a religion, but has been completely made new, born again. As dramatic as your physical birth was, you remember that? Of course not, but if you could, it would have been dramatic. As dramatic as that was physically, becoming a Christian is spiritually. Okay? So there are regenerate, unregenerate. Those who have been born again, those who have not been born again. Now, I dare say that there are many people who are comfortable under the label of Christian and perhaps comfortable under the label of believer because they're okay being identified with Christianity and they're okay with saying, yeah, I believe it's true, who have not tasted regeneration, who have not tasted the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom God has poured out upon us richly. It makes me think of a passage in Romans chapter 6, which might help shed a little bit of light on what this means. If you remember when we studied Romans or from your own reading of Romans, Paul spends chapter after chapter just laying out how free the gift of salvation is. How in Jesus Christ you're fully forgiven and you didn't have to do anything. All you had to do was accept it and put your faith in him and follow him. And he took the painful death for your sin. He took the separation from the Father on the cross. And Paul realizes that people hearing about how great and free this is, they might take that as a license to just accept salvation and keep on sinning. And he responds to that in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And this illustrates the difference being born again makes. He says, what shall we say then in response to how free the gospel is? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's a very real change that takes place in a person's heart when they receive the full cure of Jesus Christ through the gospel. There's a real death that takes place to the old ways, the old slaveries, the old infection. There's a real new birth that takes place to a new life free from those things. He goes on, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would, not, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The, the infection is cured. We're no longer putting band-aids on the top of our sin. It's cured from within. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. Not just managing sin, dead to sin. Not just coping with our sin, dead to sin. Not just improvement, new life. Alive to God now. Communion is such an important regular experience to rip our minds back from symptom management to source cure in Jesus Christ. From merit-based religious attempts to become good people to mercy-based reception of the gift of Jesus' body and blood shed for us, resting in his goodness for our salvation and not our own. From an exhausting cycle of self-improvement and um, yeah, self-improvement to regeneration, new birth. Now, practically speaking, this all has implications. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians, the passage I'm about to read as we begin to partake in communion, communion is taken very seriously. In fact, he says, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The idea is we don't take this lightly. And it's not because there's a, a magic um, ascribed to the elements we're about to take. It's because of the profound significance of what Jesus Christ did. We cannot take it lightly. Now we can rejoice in it. We can take it with a lightness of heart that comes from, from joy and receiving it. But we can't take it lightly as if it's not important. The correct way to approach the communion elements is humbly. The correct way to approach them is as a recipient of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Now, we do need to examine ourselves. And we need to be honest with ourselves before God about the sin that's in our hearts and in our lives. Okay, and that alone can be scary and difficult. Okay, we need to be honest about those sins enough to confess them to God, to say with him, yes, I have been sinful in these ways. Will you please forgive me? And sometimes with people whom we've sinned against. So that if you have some sin outstanding in your life that is against another person, that you need to go and confess that to them. You need to do that and not partake in communion right now. But first go and make that right. Now we need to examine ourselves and see where we stand, but not 
so that we can justify ourselves with our own righteousness, so that we can allow the gospel to get all the way down in there, so that the gospel can get down in there to where the infection is and heal us. So if you're in here and all you've known is the exhaustion of running from your sin and self-justification and um, trying to hide your sin, now's the time to come into the light before God. To repent, which means to change your mind. Change your mind about how you've been looking at Jesus Christ. I'd like to pray for us and then we'll begin our communion service together. Would you bow with me? Father, in these quiet moments, we invite you to search our hearts and reveal anything amiss within us. We cling to the fact that in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. Only grace and mercy and forgiveness for those who will believe in him, who will put their faith in him, who will follow him. Make crystal clear to each one of us where we stand. If there's any among us who has never tasted, has never experienced the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you would save them now. That they would experience it now. For all those who are here who have experienced that, but who have wandered far away from these elemental truths of Christ and who are tangled up in all the world's concerns and worries and issues and tangled up in sin and consequences of sin, I ask that you would help them to hand that whole tangled mass over to you and just let it go into your hands, trusting you for forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. Or may all among us who are enslaved to sin be freed this morning in the name of Jesus. Let not one of us partake of these elements in an unworthy manner. Let there be no pretense in these moments. A moment of sheer honesty before you, nakedness before you. May we receive Jesus' body and blood. the new covenant of grace. May we receive it fully. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.